doing this stuff and learning as you go and and experimenting with it you know it's it's fantastic all the possibilities that come into 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 play and the the, the heavy lifting so to speak is being done and you know you just got to sort of jump on board and have a go have we reached the point in the growth of the Bitcoin SV ecosystem where the heavy lifting, that is the making of a toolkit of basic software, now means that it's relatively easy to produce actual useful products? The speaker there was Paul Giari, an Australian IT expert and director of Tableland IT in Queensland. He's used software from people like Unwriter, an anonymous developer, to create Weather SV which offers weather updates. To activate the service in your area, you have to pay five Australian dollars in Bitcoin SV, and then you'll get hourly data for almost a year. For Paul, Weather SV has been a way to explore the possibilities of using the blockchain to store and distribute data. His IT business in a rural area led him to think about collecting data for farmers. Several years ago, that set him on the path that led to Bitcoin SV. We started really, you know, looking at the whole thing around the waste um, in agriculture. And, you know, it starts from the farm. I mean, you know, from work go, you've got, you know, something like 20 to 30% of most produce. It, it's not fit for market, you know, because it doesn't look right. It's not the right size. It's not this, it's not that. You know, at that time, you're sort of looking at, you're looking at solutions, way to come up about these things you're looking at apps and platforms of e-commerce and real-time data exchanges and all this stuff you know at the time my interest in bitcoin and whatnot was very much evolving and i you know i was always interested in it but it, but it was really only when i started to further look into the technology and see the business potential behind it and and, and to me that then became the solution moving forward i, I really couldn't see the point in at that time in history around 215 of building systems it was sort of going to be of that you know what I, I would soon would have thought would be legacy systems you know because the the opportunity that bitcoin as this sort of you know public decentralized ledger that you know it was sort of accessed by all stakeholders quite easily without having to change data from one to the other and you know would facilitate markets and smart contracts data storage delivery notices you know the whole whole bits and pieces that you could sort of think of and 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 that very much you know became my sort of focus on how to do this and and my expectation was that at that point in time that oh you know like next year you know we'll be building this we'll be able to build this sort of stuff it's all happening you know it's here but paul's early enthusiasm for the speed at which bitcoin would develop was soon disappointed he had to put his plans on hold because once a lot of people started using the Bitcoin network, it wasn't able to cope. The network got a bit busy and, you know, fees went up to 20 cents a transaction or a dollar a transaction or something, which I know is small in terms of what we've seen today. But, you know, it was obviously issues that needed to be resolved at that time. Right. So it, it would have been a practical proposition, but the basically the mechanics of how the whole... Uh, Bitcoin system was working were, was holding it up for you at that point yeah yeah which I didn't I just thought it was just a bit of evolution from here that would take us to where we needed to be but uh, you know um, as we know now some people had the right ideas other people had other ideas and so then you know obviously you 
moving forward and you're looking at other options, you're thinking, oh, well, these guys must know what they're talking about. Maybe Bitcoin just becomes a store of value and, you know, maybe Ethereum or something like this is a platform to start looking at. But then you soon realise, no, that's all a dead end. And around that time was probably a bit of a perfect storm for us in terms of business. The mining boom ended. A lot of the government contracts up in this region for different areas of research and stuff stopped. And, you know, that had a significant impact on our business. So we were really at that point looking for, you know, other ways, like how do we how do we transition our business, you know, from what we're used to be doing to other areas of growth. When IT jobs in mining dried up, Paul explored the possibilities in the region's other big business, tourism. Well, one thing that tourists always want is good Wi-Fi. Paul set to work. So we were, you know, setting up resorts with Wi-Fi. So that, 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 that sort of then gave us uh, an area within our business that we could start to grow because the Wi-Fi, the tourism and stuff was still very strong. Now that sort of led us on through that into some other, you know, CBD projects, infrastructure projects, point to point, you know, longer range Wi-Fi installations, infrastructure, that sort of stuff. And out of that, then we started to um, get connections in the ag tech world. So, sorry, is that agricultural technology or? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So, smart farming, automation of your farm, and all these sort of other bits and pieces. So, so that 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 started to then really cement uh, a lot of going back to where we'd started with the waste management and all that. Now that I was actually, you know, we, we're working in that field, we're working with these uh, systems and seeing the sort of data that can be um, obtained that, you know, all those sort of basic tasks that have, have obviously been a lot more manual over time now starting to be automated. And suddenly you have this technology which... You, you can now start to look at covering much larger areas, put in a lot more devices. You don't need, you know, another method that's been used in the past is SIM cards. So, you know, you have a device out there in the middle of the paddock, it has a SIM card in, it talks back to your mobile tower. But once again, you know, as you try to scale that, well, every SIM card costs you money every month, blah, blah, blah. A lot of the regional, more remote areas, well, they don't have the best mobile coverage anyway. Paul started working with something called LP WAN low power wide area networks which are like wi-fi but they allow data to be collected over an area of several kilometers with a low power system monitors positioned in fields or water send back readings in a real internet of things kind of way so we started you know working with other people looking at that technology and smart farming and how we iot type devices and how we can you know collect more data cheaply so how was that, in a sense, a step on your journey towards the, the Bitcoin SV project? Well, then a university here in Australia or a technology institute um, called RMIT, they, they um, ran some blockchain courses. Uh, and one of them, you know, was for business uh, managers like myself. Uh, so that was, that, that was a good time for me to then just sort of take a lot of this stuff and different stuff in and then come up with something. And, and, and basically, the the project that I developed was a thing called, so I call it, well, just as a working title, Aggregate, as in A-G-R-I, a gate, you know, like <laughs> right. agriculture. Yes, yeah, nice yeah, little but, pun. Yeah, but then based on the idea of, you know, the aggregation of this data. So, so Aggregate, uh, aggregate was a project to help 
provide sort of supply chain information it, to a degree yeah like we I, I don't really want to sort of reinvent the supply chain but you know things like microtransactions and that to me are very important in these type of networks to, to create a value chain and, and it, it strikes me that okay well if you could aggregate data from say 10 farms in the area or more 50 100 whatever that showed you you know how much water went on the crop how much of this chemical how much of that chemical um you know uh what sort of weather that crop uh the climate conditions that that crop underwent during the time and 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 you're able to sort of map all that data together and then aggregate that over you know 10 20 50 100 farms that you would then potentially have some very valuable data for these sort of agricultural groups that can then look at the produce, determine that, well, you know, these here set of conditions seem to produce the best produce. Therefore, you know, we can we can advise the market. You know, I mean, a lot of farmers may be using 10% too much of this or 20% more of this than they need and so forth. So, you know, you can then drive efficiency back into the actual production and also i believe you know streamline things in such a way that down the track you're creating a better project product as well but why do you um, need why why i can see that the your 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 new kind of iot devices and wireless networks and stuff are critical for that why why is the blockchain critical rather than just some database because this is not confidential information or anything particularly to me, the blockchain is just such a easy, accessible database that goes from, you know, that, that can connect to all the stakeholders from one end to the other. You know, it's easy to transact it. It's easy to, uh, you know, providing the conditions are right, you can send your data up to it. Then, you know, um, it could be a distributor based down in Melbourne that that's then looking into that you know, that same data flow and being able to say, okay, well, um, you know, the production the production is at this point, the packing sheds are going, tomorrow we should have this much produce to, to pick up. The more of that data that we can put into a common, you know, ledger, like a public blockchain, and then everybody can access in and, and, and build uh, interaction from their own systems to and fro, then I believe that that then just enables a much easier platform to transition data, real-time data, between all those stakeholders that can therefore make automated decisions that are going to be a lot more efficient than the ways they do now. From developing that project and working through it, one of the big areas that we had to then work on, or one area that we had to work on for our project, was the proof of concept. Um, And then obviously got me thinking, well, what are we trying to prove? Well, we're trying to prove that we can yeah, store data to the blockchain, that we can index that data, we can retrieve it and use it as we need. So then you think, okay, well, what data do we, what what's the best data from what we're looking at to use? And, you know, whether, whether it just seemed like a natural choice, climate data, weather data, a lot of farms, I mean, whether it's important in the agricultural industry, Important in the area, it's important to farmers. A lot of them have their own weather stations. A lot of this automation software they have now, you know, it, it integrates into your weather. So you've got a dashboard. So, you know, a modern-day farmer now, you know, they, they, they're not walking out in the paddock. They're waking up, they're opening their computer, they're looking at the dashboard, they're, they're you know, 
ticking off their schedules. They're sending workers out from here to here on jobs. You know, they 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 can actually track you know their workers out on the farm. So rather than the you know if a, if a pump's blown in paddock three or something, rather than that worker have to do that job, come back to the office, get designated out to the new job. You know, that can all now start to happen in real time. Um, so so then you look at you know look at the breadth and width of the data that they're using and and whatnot and you think well okay weather's good it's readily available it's not confidential all of these kind of things you know so it's a nice starting point for us just to go through that practice because i mean we're familiar with the data side but we don't you know obviously until this we hadn't really started to you know work through the machinations of how we do this on the blockchain Right. So you, you, you. Uh, I've had a look at Weather SV, um, and you, you basically source your weather from a from an open system. I think that's mm. public already. That's right. yeah. uh, and then you invite users to subscribe to create uh, a flow of weather information from for a particular location that they choose, mm-hmm. and then you they have to pay sort of five dollars or something for that information to be made public and then anyone using the system after them can see the information that they've asked for as well mm, that's right so i mean how many you and in order to make this system work you had to tie together quite a lot of different pieces of software and technology i think mm. Uh, well, well, just let's yeah. let's just let me just ask you, sort of, as a basic thing, what was it about Bitcoin SV that made you choose it, and and was it really the only choice that was technically possible, or was it just the one you thought would be best? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was sort of almost a bit doubtful about where this was going to go for a little while, and and it, it was probably actually one of those Craig Wright. You know, when he sort of got up and it was at some conference maybe a couple of years ago. It was back before the Bitcoin cash fork and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, and it, you know, you know that one, he, he looked very, I think it was the first time I'd ever seen him speaking publicly. And he, he, he looked quite nervous, you know, he didn't look very comfortable or relaxed. And I sort of thought he seemed like a bit of a prickly character. But at the end of the day, when he went out there and he, he told these people, you know, like, if you're not prepared to spend twenty thousand dollars on a machine that's given you financial uh, freedom, that's given you this, you that, you know, and then he you know, left the expletive, the, the expletives roll, you know, I thought, thank God, there's somebody out there who's actually making some sense. Nobody I was listening to really made sense. So, you know, I. I was, God, thank God, someone's finally said what needs to be said. And a fellow Australian too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it takes sometimes an Australian with their, I guess they just say things a bit more directly than other people or something to just nut it out what needs to be said. But um, so, the, so that that definitely got me interested in well, who's this guy? What's he up to? You know, what, what's his vision? And um, yeah, so you know, then I sort of obviously followed things through Bitcoin Cash. You know, then things progressed along, obviously, and then we had the Bitcoin SV fork, and you know, I sort of was obviously, you know, following a lot of what Craig Wright was on about and the characters around him, and to me, that was the obvious way forward. 
um, and then that all happened and and then suddenly I think it was probably late last year early this year and you know Unride had just exploded with this stuff you know with uh, data pay and and all this and I, I just spent days trying to well you know just trying to actually get my head around it and understand it to some degree but you know to me that was it that was the moment like it, it, you know this is what we need like you know we we you know we don't have to go building all that all we need to do is build this bit on top and now we've got the infrastructure to do those things that we need to do so unrider um, just just for people who people who are just coming to this uh, from the outside unrider is this mysterious character who contributes open source uh, projects that work with bitcoin sv and people like you can pick them up and uh, work with them. That's right, isn't it? Basically, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, data pay itself is is just a you know, I guess a data transaction system for the Bitcoin network. Um, so you know, you beauty, BitDB. I mean, we'd already you okay. Well, maybe you know, if we're going to do this, then we've got to build like a uh, you know, MongoDB type database to be able to index our transactions and report on them and all this sort of stuff. And then there he is with BitDB. Okay, well, that's that side of things sorted. So we've, we've now suddenly got a, a framework where we can transact the data onto the blockchain, but then at the other end actually index it and report on it and all that sort of thing. So so to me, it was just like that golden moment. You just say, okay, let's do this. So. So, you know, at, at that point in time, we had no concept of whether SV in its form or anything like that today. We just wanted to start mucking around with that concept of transacting and, you know, uh, indexing and reporting that data. And the weather was the obvious option. So we, so we uh, plugged in uh, a local weather feed and started transacting that onto the chain. And, oh, it was interesting, you know, it was working and everything worked as it should. And that was great. And then, but we... One of the first things, strangely enough, we noticed that this data doesn't seem to be atherton. Like, I mean, even though we're sort of close to Cairns, you know, there is quite an altitude difference, which creates a different temperature, different humidity, and so forth. So as we started to look further into their system, the Open Weather Map, and what their data was doing, so so if you went onto that site and you just typed in atherton, it would show you weather like it was atherton, but what's really happening is that it's reporting weather from the closest weather station available to its source, which is Cairns. So then you sort of look into their database, you say, well, they, they've got like hundreds of thousands of locations that they uh, say that they, you can report data on, but it's really 40,000 actual stations behind all that. So then, okay, we thought, fair enough, well, we'll deal with that. We'll we made the cans weather feed. <laughs> so we changed it from Athen and the cans. In the meantime, I think I'd been down in Brisbane and met Brendan and was talking to him about what we're doing. He was quite interested. And so between, I think. Sorry, who's and, Brendan? Uh, oh, sorry, Brendan Lee um, at Coin Storage Guru. Um, uh, he, he's one of, the, one of the team members on that tokenized project. Oh, right, great. Yeah. Yeah, so so we, we you know we just did this as a little bit of a hobby project type thing, and we had the uh, weather broadcasting onto uh, onto the blockchain. And Brendan showed a bit about, oh yeah, I'd love to have one of those for Brisbane. Also, at that point in time, too, in the meantime, we you know Unrider was putting out some stuff about this Bitcom, and we were mucking around with that. So so what Bitcom then allowed us to do was to sort of like register our protocol, and 
and then it would show up on the um, trends.cash and things like that. And, um, you know, there we were all of a sudden and we could see our, you know, 24 transactions a day. Um, we were doing one every hour, one broadcast every hour, updating metadata, 24. Um, but because of, I guess, you know, there's only a few these type of protocols running, um, we were, you know, relatively prominent in the little pie chart, but the the obvious uh, leader was Mimo, you know, which was typically doing, say, four or 500 transactions a day. So we sort of sat around and we having a beer or whatever or a chat and we're like, yeah, well, you know, a couple of people have showed interest. Maybe, you know, we, we could start to sort of turn our site into something that people can jump on. You know, we can access into all these other stations. You know, if somebody has a station near them, they could activate it, give us a bit of money, put some money into the transaction pool and, and let's run it, you know. And, you, you know, we sort of thinking, oh, if we could get, you know, 20 other people interested or something like that, we'd be up at Mimo, we'd do 500. If we could get 50-odd people doing it, oh, we'd be like doubling Mimo, you know, this would be great, you know. And that was really all we, we did it, just for a bit of a laugh. We, we didn't have any major plan that this would go any further or go as far as it has or be some, you know, future business for us. It was just a purely a proof of concept, purely a testing ideas on the blockchain, building stuff, learning stuff, um, and, yeah. But it's really, ta- I mean, yeah. so how, how, how much has it taken off? Well, I mean, where are we now? I think we're... We've got something like, it's over 500, maybe about 530 channels around the globe. And, you know, that's currently pushing out something like 12,500 transactions a day we're broadcasting on the network, yeah. So that means 500 people have paid up there to create their own local feed? Yeah, well, well 500, uh, 500 stations have been activated, but... You know, there's certainly cases where some people I know have activated multiple channels, um, you know, just for the sake of transparency and all the rest of it as well. We have had some communication with somebody who is keen to um, invest, you know, a reasonable amount of um, money into scaling this project up to help to create, you know, a, a, I suppose a better, wider ranging data set and also to help promote transactions on the chain and so forth. So. You know, we'll see how all that progresses, but there's a potential within that investment to probably take us up over, well, including our current transactions, I think it would take us up to something like 50,000 plus transactions a day. Wow. But one thing, one thing that I find I can't quite understand is, I mean, the data that you get when you subscribe to the service is already available to you on the, the source uh, network itself, isn't it? Mm, yeah. So you're paying for something that you could have just got for free. Mm, that's right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and once again, that was part of our experiment as well because you think you, you know, as we start all talking about the metanet, I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we, you know, this is the future we want. We want to have a future where we pay to upload, where we pay to, uh, you know, contribute, where we get rewarded for good contributions and all the rest of it. Um, you know, as we move from an old model of the internet and we want to move on to the metanet, um, you know, it's one thing to talk about, but is it a reality that people are actually prepared to pay? Um, so, you know, we, we didn't know that people would. We had no expectation that um, they would find it that interesting or intriguing or worth doing. Um, but I think in a way know, it's, we, a, it's a very interesting experiment because it, 
it sort of shows that people are intrigued about the idea of paying for stuff like this and they're not really concerned about they're not they're not worried about paying some money they actually rather like the idea of paying some money for something mm, that's right yeah which, which which i know myself I, I i share that view um moving forward because i think that that's going to create a much better type of internet um but you know until you test these ideas you really just don't know right? well it's encouraging because if if you use the same sort of mechanisms to offer something that you couldn't get for free, then presumably the take up would be even better. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, you know, so you know, yeah. Whether SV is very much a project that's designed to learn from, Paul is already thinking how he could build something more sophisticated and has been reading about how blockchain-recorded data could incorporate AI or neural networks. From what I hear, what I understand, the Bitcoin network itself makes a great platform for AI and neural, neural networks. And then, so then you start to think about, okay, well, uh, science, scientific, you know, meteorologists, environmental scientists that can then utilize those frameworks to then apply their modeling and you know, we get to a stage where we're no longer just talking about data, we're potentially talking about valuable information. You know, once it's modelled and processed and had this done to it and that done to it, um, that then, you know, you may we may be able to start to then find uh, ways to reward those. I, th- I think one of the keys, really, to me, maybe in something as simple weathered data is, is being able to rate that data and use oracles and other types of technology to to get a better idea of how valid that data is. And I think I think once you can start to validate data, then you start to increase the value of that data. Um, and a big part of the project for us and where we'd like to start moving now is to actually get, you know, real devices connected to. I mean, we need to start engaging with the actual devices in, in, on properties, farms. I can see an idea where, you know, supposing that I'm a user and I want to get this information that has been assembled collectively but instead of paying for it perhaps i could set up my own source of information that would add into the network yeah yeah exactly and and at the end of the day i mean that's that's really what we're planning to prove long term you know on a much wider range of data i mean you know part of this project for us obviously is just building that engine that can take data from wherever or autonomously collect it repackage it put it into a transaction and stick it up on the blockchain, okay? So, so you know, whether it be weather data, water quality data, air, air quality data, you know, it, it doesn't particularly matter to us. But uh, the, the next step, you know, is to really have that direct interfacing with those devices. Then I think you, you start to get a better value proposition. I mean, I think the other uh, great, the, the great thing about it is that you, you don't need to take an interest in the technology in order to use weather SV at all, all you need to do is you need to be able to use your money button. But apart from that, I don't even need to know that the blockchain is involved. I'm just getting a service that I'm interested in, you know. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, so you start to think then if we could easily, you know, say 50 farmers out in this region and connect up their weather stations into our platform, hmm. what a great, great source. Like it may not have any global appeal, but for a local community of, of 
agriculture and science and these kind of things, then I think that, you know, potentially has some very, very high value. Um, and it's, you know, you, you would think with something like weather that it would just be so ubiquitous that there'd be weather recorded all over the shop, but there, there actually isn't, you know. There's a lot mm. of gaps, there's a lot of holes in the, in that um, that global data set at this stage. So, you know, the, the easier we can make it to fill those holes, uh, the better. And, and you know, I think I think that blockchain once again, in terms of why why the blockchain, it it, it seems to make it so much easier. Like, um, you you know, you know, in essence, all we need to do is to set up a, a I guess a little box in the middle. Yeah, we probably a Raspberry Pi or something like that that is able to interface with that data, collect the data, stick it into the format that we need for the transaction that we're going to recognise it and whack it onto the blockchain and then you know our system will see it as long as it's in the right format it'll see it it'll flag it as a transaction that we're interested in and and index it and away we go the the only issue there being is like how we control the the private keys and so forth as to whether the raspberry pi itself then needs to uh, be signing those transactions or we haven't sort of had the time yet to really look too far into it, but another one of um, Unrider's releases is this, uh, I think it's called Bitpipe, which I'm quite quite interested in seeing how that might fit into the picture because my understanding, without going too much detail at this stage, is that it basically allows you to send an unsigned transaction, you know? So um, I guess in this context, you think about it, you could have, you know, hundred of these Raspberry Pis around connected to the weather stations and they, they you don't have to worry about having private keys or anything like that p- protected on those Pis. They're just basically sending the transaction without the s- signature and then through DataPipe, we then receive all those transactions, sign the transactions and broadcast them. Yeah, just, just a couple of other, if I could just mention a couple of things to you quickly sure. that I... Um, just, just in regard to the project and the building, and and I mean, just a fantastic help. I mean, you know, this community, people like Unrider. Um, there's a Tiller who he maintains the Bit Index network. Um, you know, those guys have just been fantastic. And one of the things I guess that you know, really, I am very proud of in terms of the team and what we've achieved and done through this project is that we're actually um, Unrider released a patch for his. Um, I think for the database system, which is called the Brevin patch. Now, Brevin is one of our developers here. Oh, right. You know, developer, developer name, yeah. And um, so, you know, we were able to basically work through the problem, you know, find the source of the problem and uh, and actually even implement uh, a fix for it, which, well, we didn't implement as such. We wrote the fix and then, yeah, we had that implemented uh, probably a few weeks back there from Unrider and, well, the whole ecosystem right is evolving. Yeah, doing this stuff and learning as you go and and experimenting with it, you know, it's it's fantastic. And and you just, you know, your head starts to blow. You know, really, just all the possibilities that come into 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 play, and just just the fact that you could do that stuff, you know, is just amazes me really. And hmm. and, and that there's these guys there that are making that all possible. Uh, you know, for, for people like us just to go in and follow along and, yeah, get involved. It's great, you know. And yeah. Anybody who's thinking of it, anybody who wants to get involved, you know, it really isn't 
that difficult, you know. Um, the, the, the heavy lifting, so to speak, is being done and, you know, you just got to sort of jump on board and have a go. That's brilliant. That's fantastic, mm. Paul. Thank you. No, no worries at all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> okay. Cheers, Charles. Thanks bye. Well. Yeah, bye now. Bye. Thanks very much to Paul Chiari in Australia. Do please check out Weather SV and sign up for your areas weather if someone hasn't already done that. Next week, we'll be at the Going Geek Conference in Toronto, so please try to come, or if you can't, check the website for reports on all the great speakers and the announcements that will be happening there. Thanks for listening to Coin Geek Conversations. From me, Charles Miller, goodbye.